Hey everybody, Virgil here for a special bonus episode. I'm here with Will Meneker. Hello. Uh, today we're having a conversation with two individuals, Ty, a self-described whore of all trades. Howdy. And Connor Habib, author, host of the podcast Against Everyone with Connor Habib and sex workers activist. Hey, how you doing? And I want to start off the discussion with a very recent news story. Yesterday, Stormy Daniels was arrested by Columbus police in Ohio for allegedly touching three undercover detectives while performing at a strip club. Those charges were dismissed. According to, Columbus, uh, according to Columbus police, the arrest was part of a long-term investigation into allegations of human trafficking prostitution, and other vice-related violations. That's interesting because <laughs> I've, I've heard in mixed accounts she was arrested for letting one of the customers touch her, not the other way around. Yeah, like legally it'll vary state by state, but in some of these places have really weird rules that are also very closely tied to holding a liquor license. So like in California, and I think in New York as well, um, if you have a liquor license, your club can't be full nude. Mm -hmm. So like ATC, like alcohol, tobacco control, will work with law enforcement. Um, and like in my experience uh, in Louisiana with like the parish and like that like weird subsector of like the law, um, they'll work together to really like police these clubs and police the bodies of dancers. So there's this whole kind of umbrella of overlapping laws and regulations that are sort of hard to figure out and can be turned on an individual at any given moment on largely on a whim or based on selective law enforcement. Even in Louisiana, a place, a state with three laws at most. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, I think that there's, um, I mean, the, these kinds of things have been going on for a really long time. I mean, obviously, it, it seems pretty obvious that Stormy Daniels was targeted for specific reasons. But, you know, where I grew up, when I was growing up, there was like a shiatsu spa massage place. And the... Um, this this guy went in as a customer and he um, he couldn't afford the happy ending when it was suggested to him at the end. So he reported everybody that worked there to the police. Then the police gave him money to pay for the happy end, to go in and pay for the happy ending. Next time. So he was given state money. Then when he got it, then the police busted the place. So these kinds of things happen all the time. And um, police officers are often, you know, high, quote unquote, hiring sex workers, having sex with them, and then busting them and then using the sex as the evidence. Now, that's been sort of thrown out in certain states, but it's still used, even though judges will sort of throw it out as outrageous. It's still a matter of routine in certain places. But like, I w you know, when I read the, the story about uh, Stormy Daniels this morning and this, this disparity between who was touching who... In the account I read, it seemed to be that she was arrested for letting a customer of the strip club she was performing at touch her. On stage, which on is like stage. really important because they yeah. will make a distinct difference. Like sometimes you can't have contact on stage. Sometimes you can't have contact on stage or in lap dances or on the floor. Like they won't let you be like fully or like semi-nude on the floor even. Like that's why some clubs require you to wear dresses. It's all very, and like also I started dancing when I was 18. Um, so you sign these contracts and you don't know what's going to happen. And the clubs very rarely inform you the rules or the laws even. You just like. They don't have one of those big like laminated OSHA posters no. on the wall. Well, after the raids <laughs> in New Orleans during Mardi Gras, there actually was this like giant poster in the dressing room. And it was this like naked CGI girl. She was like very curvy and busty. And she had all of these like CGI tattoos with the little like no signs over each breast, her butt and like her genital area. And it was like, no, like ATC code does not allow this. You see, you I, th I think that like, I mean, Ty, you probably know more about this than I do, but I think that there's always been this bizarro, like um, fine line about in, in strip clubs, particularly since um, Barnes versus Glenn Theater, which was the Supreme Court opinion in the, in the 90s, where like there's a very fine line between what's, okay and where societal collapse is going to happen because something bad happened at the strip club according to the state so like in that uh supreme court case it was like okay you can't be naked but as long as you wear pasties and you have like a tea back like up your ass like the state won't collapse so i think when 
you're talking, you guys talking about like who touched, uh, who was touched and who did the touch in and all that kind of stuff. I think it's important to note these things, but I also think it's like, it's just, again, exposing this weird idea that there's this uh, line between total barbarism <laughs> and like free sexual expression that happens at strip clubs. That's always just sort of an inch away from being violated, you know? In, in thinking about this, like the, the member of the Columbus PD vice squad who got this assignment, and let's be honest, very likely to target Stormy Daniels because of her, you know, political associations and lawsuit against Donald Trump. Uh, that person's job is to go to a strip club and try to touch women. And then when they allow it, arrest them for it. <laughs> yeah. Like that's their whole job. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like, I mean like in, in that guy's mind, he's protecting the community. Yes. Exactly. I, I mean, I don't think that's what's going on in his mind. No, he's but just like, like that's... getting paid to touch some boobs. Like, <laughs> honestly, like, if you were offered that job, would you pass it up? Well, not if I had to arrest people for letting me do it. <laughs> Thank you for being moral. <laughs> oh, the, the voice of conscience. <laughs> I am thinking about a, uh, like a, a poster. Uh, like you said, there's like an, sort of an animated cartoon lady with uh, yeah. big tits. And it's just like, here, okay. They should have like someone from DeviantArt create a poster where it's like, the way Wario is touching Luigi is bad. Do not do that. <laughs> what these examples show to me and, and the example of the uh, massage parlor that you mentioned earlier, Connor, is how the police and the criminal justice system and criminalization of sex work reinforces the power imbalance against the people engaged in sex work will very often come from vulnerable populations. I mean, in your experience, uh, how would you rate the labor rights of sex workers under club? Oh, <laughs> not non-existent. I mean, there, there are some protections for some kinds of sex work in some places like in California here for porn performers. There are certain rules because porn is legalized in California, which is, we can talk about legalization versus decriminalization later, but it, there, there are some protections offered here, although those protections are usually pretty, they're pretty terrible. Um, I think that, you know, the important thing to remember as far as labor rights is because sex workers of all sorts are such vulnerable populations, you can basically see what the state wants to do to you in your job if you're not a sex worker by looking at what it does to sex workers because it's getting away with everything it can by um, exploiting and abusing this community of laborers. So, you know, when you look at that, just think that's what they want to do to us, you know. Yeah, I was actually fired from a club in Manhattan because they caught one that I'm a labor organizer and I was trying to organize dancers at a separate club, like not even there. And I mean, the same uh, club also had this like class action lawsuit for their racist hiring and employment practices, which is really common in the sex industry in general, but like a very large issue in Manhattan strip clubs, especially. The name of the club was Pinkerton's. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, I think it's not just, you know, it's not just the labor rights, you know, afforded or protected by the state. It's also all this sort of corporate, um, the corporate interests. I mean, there's so many directions to go in with this. So like you guys can take it away however you want, but you know, whether it's banking and payment processors, whether it's, you know, just employment discrimination, whether it's, uh, social media, all these kinds of things end up, uh, either as an extension of the state or just on their own, uh, really messing with sex workers' rights just to do their job, you know, in the, whatever way they want to. I want to wheel back to the labor issue momentarily, but first I want to get to what is basically the headline issue, which was the passage of SESTA-FOSTA nearly unanimously in the Senate, uh, 98 to 0, I believe. Or, no, I'm sorry. 97 to 2? Yeah, 97 to 2, yeah. right, because John McCain's brain is fucked up. Um, <laughs> Well, that would have been 98 to two. Yeah. Uh, hmm. You don't have to count Rand Paul. It's fine. <laughs> on, a bi on, a, on a bipartisan basis. And a lot of people still are not that familiar with what the law is or what it does. And as well, not familiar with how it impacts the safety of sex workers. And I, was, I wanted to throw that to the floor to discuss this legislation. Well, just, well, just first of all, like, what is 
Sesta Fasta? Like, how is how is this law sold? And like, practically, what does it mean for people involved in sex work? Well, um, yeah. So it it's kind of as you said, it's like a bipartisan. It's a bipartisan effort. Although there are lots of places you can trace it back to, I enjoy tracing it back to Kamala Harris, um, <laughs> who <laughs> just because there's she's been at war against sex workers in California for a really long time against sex workers rights in California for a really long time um, suing and initiating lawsuits against Backpage again and again. And that's, you know, all the culmination of that is in my mind, what led to the sort of bipartisan popularity of Sestafas. So it's really important, I think, to trace it back to her too, just to show that this isn't a Trump administration thing. And in fact, in some ways, the only traction that we've gained in fighting against this, and sorry, I'll go into what it is a little bit more, but in fighting against this has been the fact that we're in the middle of the Trump presidency, not to be an accelerationist about it, but I can't imagine trying to fight a law that proposes to be against sex trafficking of young girls um, in a sort of Clinton administration with Gloria Steinem and Kamala Harris on stage, like praising this mm-hmm. law, it would have been an absolute nightmare. And it would have happened in that administration a hundred percent. And so I think that um, what you're seeing is a law that is proposing to protect people against sex trafficking, um, but because sex trafficking is, I think, intentionally vaguely defined, it affects all sex workers. And so I think maybe, Ty, if you want to talk more about how it affects them, that'd be, that'd be awesome. Um, but I think that that's the foundation of it. Yeah, so um, it's pretty much made it like very impossible to screen clients, to advertise on most places. Um, Backpage was shut down before the closure or before the bill passed for separate reasons. Um, And then a number of other uh, advertising sites have moved offshore to kind of uh, be immune from it. But so, so it makes it basic. It makes it like any, any online hosting uh, service liable if content is being hosted there that can any way be connected to sex work. Exactly. Well, no, the sex trafficking is what it says, but but, but it's a, a slippery definition of yeah. sex trafficking, which basically, in, I mean, people have in their mind this idea of sex trafficking, of, of like frightened children being brought across borders, and that exists. Nobody disagrees that that exists, but the legal definition of it <laughs> uh, uh, has extended to cover... All forms of sex work or selling or buying. Exactly. So if of you consenting adults. If you're if you're two like sex workers working um, in pairs, which is very common for safety, um, you can be charged with trafficking each other if you're driving a oh worker. So like yeah. So it's like any anything that if anything you're like, that you do to facilitate exactly the, uh, exchange of sex for money between two adults is now part of sex trafficking. Which you know, in in the public's imagination, is like yeah. the movie Taken or something, yes. where like so, your daughter is being kidnapped and sold right. to some oil chic or something. It's also if um if you're married to a sex worker, even you could be like considered like profiteering off of oh the like yeah. labor or of the uh, means, I guess. That was of a, a sex worker. There was a bill passed recently by the uh, Democratic governor of Virginia, which I believe, you know, created a liability for uh, the partner of a sex worker. Uh, it's it's comparable to the it's comparable to the Rockefeller drug laws. Basically, it's like saying if, if you're caught with an ounce of weed, you are charged as a drug trafficker. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's right. exactly what it is. Um, In, to better understand, like the effect of this law, I think it would be good to talk about how, up until now, uh, sex work has worked online, and and like like how people have used online now now that that's being shut down. How did they use it before to make uh, their jobs safer and easier for them to do? Yeah. So, so I think the basics of that are, you know, basically you, there were sites that would host you um, and you put an ad up on the site. This isn't, this isn't the only way, but you put an ad up on the site and putting an ad up on the site meant that people had to contact you often through the site. And because of that, there was much more of a screening opportunity. You could also link up with other sex workers who are on that site and talk to them about, uh, you know, what, 
and, and talk to them about these potential clients, um, whether or not they were dangerous. Um, there were also sites that had that would verify um, client clients sometimes like and say that this person has been using this service since 2011 or whatever it was. So those are some of the ways um, that it just makes things more dangerous for people because it's removing all that information. There's, you know, another thing is like, so you have a site like Rent Men, um, so Rent Boy was shut down, but there's a Rent Men, <laughs> there's a Rent Men, oh, grown the grown up version. <laughs> rent, I guess. rent Boys but to the, Men. Well, yeah. So the, so the, the thing with um, rent men is you used to be able to put uh, how much you charged on there. As soon as SESTA Fossa was signed into law, they sent an email out to everybody saying, no, you can't put your price on here. So I just want you to, your fee on here. So I want you to sort of imagine what that means for people who, you know, there are some people who are sort of uh, wanting to have limited uh, clients um, for a very high rate. And then there are some people that wanted clients for, you know, like a, a lower rate where they just wanted to take on as many clients as they could. Now, both those people had to do the same kind of screening, they had to have the same conversations um, with people. They had to also sort of put in this sort of sneaky language that was like, hey, just here to meet new people. You know, <laughs> you had to like put that kind of stuff on the site. So you can't even actually say what you're doing, what you're good at, what you think, you know, you might have I'm to on offer a client. I'm on there just because I want to meet new all people. That. Like, I'm also on Adult Friend Finder because I want to make some adult friends. <laughs> yeah, everyone um, got really strict with their copy, it seemed. So I actually got kicked off of Eros, which is like an advertising site, probably because of my copy. And there's nothing explicit in it. Like, I I know that words like desire or like lust or sin are now flagged. And they just completely <laughs> shut, like took down my ad, shut down my account. I'm like perma banned. And they sent me an email and they're like, oh, yes, like we've been advised by our legal team that you're doing like something illegal. And I want I really wanted to just send them an email back. And it's like, I'm a hooker. Everyone on the site is a hooker. <laughs> I don't know what you think this is. <laughs> the, dang lang- the dang language police over here. Uh, so yeah, so, wait, yeah. so like, they, they flagged words like uh, like lust and uh, yeah, wow, that's so Victorian. Wow. I, like you can't say like mouth or like hands even. <laughs> like because I'm on another site and they tell you they're like, hey, like heads up, you know this isn't gonna fly. Like we have new terms of service and like they'll tell you what words aren't allowed and it's absurd like my copy is short it was like cut in half let me ask you this what emojis can you use (laughs) i definitely not any of the fruit ones (laughs) not that not that no vehicles because that's a trafficking emoji the the one that's just a box definitely not that one (laughs) so like um when 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 Sesta Fosta was being debated before it passed with you know y- near unanimous uh, sorry with a near unanimous vote, like how how was this bill sold or like the, the people who probably genuinely think it's doing some good like what what did they tell the public and themselves about the nature of this? I mean, they were uh, like, oh, we're gonna like save traffic like tra- sex trafficking victims, and the narrative was really pushed that they were gonna be saving like minors and children, um, which, I mean, if you look at um, Operation Cross Country, which is a raid that has been carried out annually for, I think, over a decade now, very few of their arrests are actually trafficking victims. And, like, in the cases where they have arrested minors, I think almost all of them have been, like, no, like, we are doing this, like, as survival work. And they were all, like, you know, 15, 16, 17. They're all teenagers, um... It's also like the foster care system is a huge just like pipeline into survival sex work a lot and like even like actual sex trafficking as well. And no one wants to recognize it. No one wants to tackle that as an issue. Well, it's good because uh, I just saw the other day a lot of these kids being held in ICE concentration camps are going to be put into the foster <laughs> system rather than reunited with right. their parents. So, uh yeah, no. Yeah, no. I, it's a really good point, though, Will, because I mean, I think it's like and I try to say that 
as much as I can. If you care about human trafficking, ICE is human trafficking. The prison industrial complex, which Kamala Harris is wild about, supports human trafficking, is human trafficking. And in fact, the, the prison industrial complex is certainly sex trafficking. <laughs> if, I mean, if, for sure. So it's like, the, I think it's really good to bring those kinds of things up because the focus on what human trafficking is, is conflated somehow with little girls undergoing this or this or this. And then of course it's like, well, great. I can point to that with ice, you know, or it's people who are forced into sexual situations, you know, without their consent by forces that are more powerful. Well, great. That's the prison system. You know, I mean, I think that there's, there's a lot to point to that's not, uh, (laughs) not consensual sex work at a strip club or online or whatever. Yeah. Well, and also if you're talking about uh, you know prison and law enforcement and, and, and you know the the way it's used on you know the uh, poorer populations of this country, it is also about like knocking the legs out from any potential future employment in something outside of a black market economy as well. So, like, I mean, if people again, like, talking about people who are concerned about sex work or you know runaway teens or something like that. I mean, a lot of teens run away because their parents are abusive or because their parents kick them out because they're gay or lesbian or something like that. Yeah. And and trans kids, especially, you know, so I think it's like you uh, and you're right to point that out as well. It's like so there's a black market economy, which is criminalized. And then there's a prison system, which is basically, you know, a (laughs) a slavery institution. And so the the sort of dual work there of criminalizing something so you can put them in prison so they can never get out you know and do anything else again so they can be criminalized again you know i think it's a cycle like that of course switch up a little bit like i mean i, I think when it comes to things like you know the, the the push behind criminalizing sex work and sexuality at play in our politics it's sort of like with the right it's easy to understand what's going on there they hate you know, poor people, sex, labor rights of any kind uh, are generally deranged in their outlook on human sexuality. So it's pretty easy to understand. However, like there's a, there's also like a liberal side to this as well. And like, you know, acknowledging that there is part of the uh, sex trade or sex work that is bad and criminal and exploitative. I think we can all agree on that. But there's obviously a huge part of it that is not that that still really bothers a lot of people who are otherwise liberal and otherwise in favor of things like you know uh, gay and lesbian and trans rights and labor rights even what do you think is the hurdle about sex work that makes it still makes it such a kind of potent law and order issue for even liberal and democratic politicians yeah yeah Ty, do you want to? I have so much to say, so I'm going to let you go because I don't want to overwhelm the answer to this on my own. I don't know. I mean, like, I know that part of the reason why this is, you know, so taboo is because it offers, um, like, upward financial mobility for the most marginalized people. And I think a lot of liberal people want to think that they're progressive, but they honestly aren't, um, especially when it comes to uh, poverty class, about like migration issues about trans issues um it really sex work does touch the the most marginalized folks and it's also like very universal like it's practiced in like a a lot of countries like if not every country so like they want upward mobility for you know immigrants and marginalized people but they want them to do it the right way by getting you know an internship and then uh you know yeah, going like to the school that they went to and everyone then, like, just wants free small- labor yeah exactly yeah like people like me but like they like at the end of the day like still wish i would suck their dick for free <laughs> and like it's a hard lesson to learn but i'm not gonna do it <laughs> <laughs> connor i mean i yeah i think i think also you know <laughs> I, I'm I'm so grateful for the fact that um, the sex workers' rights movement has taken on this tone of or this this rallying cry of sex work is work, but um, a lot of what you're referencing to also has to do with just a general sex negativity and a, a sexual liberation aspect that's really needed because the questions of sex work were really brought up and sort of. Um, 
handed to feminism at a certain point in its development. Now, I think a lot of feminists are very supportive of sex work now and, and, and allies, and a lot of sex workers are feminists. But the sort of second wave feminism, which is also really risen to power in the UK, so you'll see a lot of um, anti-sex work uh, socialists in the UK as well, that sort of taking over the development was like they of, of the public discussion, which is not... Uh, doesn't make any sense to me because it's hand in hand with, you know, the police, with the sort of patriarchal, you know, by their own terms, the patriarchal state system, all that kind of stuff. Um, but there's not, there, there's not an idea that people get to do what they want with their own body, sexually, including charging for it. Um, it, Unfortunately, the left, and not just liberals, but the left have a long tradition of being very suspicious of pleasure. And that includes Marxists and socialists, who we would expect to find a lot of allies in. Um, but because of that, and, and rightly so, there's a good suspicion of pleasure in some for some reasons. But, but because of that, it's sort of poisoned some of the strains of uh, people that could be allies for sex workers. So, you know, you have people that are like, anti-porn Marxist like Gail Dines, or you have these almost like Maoist anti-porn, anti-internet porn people. And it, it's very strange that people that are bound to obscenity laws that think it's all about objectification, you know, and, you know, I always try to say just to combat these people, if you ask like one of these anti-porn or anti-sex worker activists, like, porn objectifies women. Well, just tell me, what do you mean by porn? What do you mean by objectifying? What do you mean by women? And they'll give you shitty answers to all three or no <laughs> answers at all. But uh, Connor, it's sort of like, you know, from from the left, if we take uh, seriously the idea that sex work is work and, and examine it as work, then the problem with it is the work part, not the sex part, right? Like work is what sucks in our society, not sex. And if yeah. you combine the two together, it would, make, it would stand to reason that the problem with sex work is all the things that make jobs and work in general awful. And, the, and then what stands to reason that what could improve them would be the same things that would improve uh, the lot of every other kind of worker in this country. Yeah, I 100% agree with you that it would really, really improve the labor conditions for most sex workers. And so that's where a lot of our on-the-ground activism has to take place. And so I'm really happy that that work is happening, that the, those efforts are happening. But I think that, you know, if you just talk to people who aren't even thinking about sex work questions, we're all so fucked up about our own sexualities, about porn, about our relationships, all that kind of stuff that it wouldn't it wouldn't fully solve a lot of the problems that people face. It wouldn't, you know, it, it would definitely create a center of gravity that would help solve some of them. But I think we'd still have a ton of work to do. I think that's a good enough segue to talk about the labor aspects of sex work. And, uh, you know, sex workers are left out of things like the labor movement. They're left out of liberal advocacy. Uh, RICO laws, trafficking laws can target sex workers, you say, who work cooperatively, which in an industry like this is a necessity. Uh, Ty, can you talk about any experiences with labor organizing with sex workers in New York? Yeah, so I'm doing more things with, I think, stripping just because it is legal. It's easier to kind of like have a face in front of it. Um, and you definitely have more rights trying to, uh, you know, change things internally within the club and then also, like, externally. So we've been meeting with um, lawyers from uh, SOAR. And then... Wait, sorry, what's SOAR? SOAR is, is like, a lawyer's collective that um, aids sex workers. Not necessarily within, like, the labor aspect, but we were meeting with them to kind of get a little boost and segue into... um, like people who have more experience in labor law. Yeah, so I'm doing more of my labor organizing within dancing, um, also on the heels of all of the Mardi Gras raids in New Orleans. Sorry, could you talk just real quick, explain what the Mardi Gras raids in New Orleans that just happened were? Yeah, so a, like I think nine clubs on Bourbon were shut down. Um, and it was an ongoing thing. They've been getting raided for... A couple of years now, um, and also like historically, the policing of sex work is a like ongoing battle in New Orleans. Um, they used to have a really 
beautiful culture of burlesque that was kind of like chased out of the city. And then like as a result, all of the money left and then they had to kind of like rebuild it financially. So we had seen this before, like decades ago, and then we're trying to prevent it now. Um, We also learned that Disney, like the company literally has a stake in the city of New Orleans. So this is part of the reason why they were closing like the, all of the you know, strip yeah, clubs. Walt Disney presents the Bourbon Street experience. You know? Right. Yeah. yeah. And it's also like, even without the strip clubs, it's just, so, I love New Orleans. I love Louisiana. But it's like kind of terrifying during the Mardi Gras season, just like to be in the streets <laughs> around like so many like drunk men. Right. And like, I'm a sex worker. I'm a, like, I was a stripper for years and like, I'm very used to drunk men. Like it's my bread and butter, <laughs> but it was just too many. Like <laughs> so all of these clubs are raided um, by ATC and local law enforcement and then shut down for a period of time, um, maybe like a week or two weeks, depending on the club. Some of them didn't get they were raided, but not shut down. Um, and then when they all reopened, um, I think a week before like that Tuesday or like a week and a half before it was the environment was completely different. Um, the rules had changed or the rules that had been there were enforced more heavily. So you couldn't like touch your customer. The customer couldn't really touch you and you couldn't like touch yourself in like breast, genital or butt areas. And like you couldn't dance a certain way. You couldn't like really like sit on a customer's so, lap. Like, I, again, this is a state with no laws. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, so yeah, it's so, so a weird thing where they, where they want to, they understand that, uh, like the tourism is largely driven by the kind of, uh, you know, more wild aspects of New Orleans and that history, but they also kind of want to clean it up. So they ha- kind of have it, try, they're trying to have it both ways with these weird, like, you know, you can do this, but not this. Yeah. It's also, I think that the clubs in New Orleans are a little bit more independently run than other clubs where like all most of the clubs in Manhattan are like a part of a corporation. Um, and then the club I worked at, the original owner went public with the IPO, but then kept this one private. So the rules are like all different and our house fees are way lower and they're pretty chill and everyone knows each other, but they weren't paying off the enforcement, I guess. And so they also collectively settled with the city to reopen for, I think, which is the amount of money that some dancers could have made in that single season. And like, you know, half a dozen clubs to, it's not like they're like scraping up, you know, less than 30K to reopen a business that's making like so much money at night, especially like in the high season. Mm -hmm. But uh, back to, uh, to Manhattan and your experiences in New York, you said that you were fired from a club because they got wind that you were trying to organize at another club. So when you're organizing, like, you know, your coworkers or you're trying to, like, you know, broach this, like, what's your pitch? Like, you know, how do you, is it, is it an easy sell? I mean, it depends on the club. I've worked at clubs where it's, like, a very close environment. Everyone knows each other. And we sometimes, like, see each other outside of work. Um, in more corporate clubs, it's way more difficult because it's, like, super cutthroat. And everyone's, like, I just care about my money and nothing else. And that's fine if you're like that. But, I mean, I personally want to better the work environment and I want to better like my other workers. So if it's like hyper competitive uh, among dancers, it's harder to make an argument for solidarity. Or yeah. Kind of, yeah. Cause it's like, it's almost seen as like fucking with your money. And like, I lost a lot of people who I thought were my friends when I decided to take steps to organize a club that we had all prior worked at. And some people still were working at. Um, it's just, I mean, it's a difficult environment to work in. It's also a lot of sex workers just inherently kind of understand things from the left. They understand like that being poor, really sex and not having health care. Like we should have benefits and things like that, but they, they don't like really compute it as necessary or as something that like we can have and can fight for. It's just something that we've kind of always lived in these conditions and like, there's nothing that can change that. And it's sort of like at the end of the night, if, if it's a difference between what you, what you're taking home that night, then that's a, that's a harder sell. Yeah. It's you know? also, yeah, exactly. So it's, that money is so immediate and that's part of the reason why I started. That's probably why like so many other people started because you get that cash in your hand when you leave. Right. Like you get it right then and there. You don't have to wait two weeks for a paycheck. You don't have to like, 
there's it's nothing you have it and Dude, like imagine being imagine imagine uh being a freelance writer uh thinking yeah, about exactly. shit like that you know where you have wait <laughs> six to nine months you could have a kid in the time you could get a 500 hundred dollar check from like some fucking outlet but uh uh, first, you want, can we talk a little bit about like the differences in the the some of like the international models between legalization and decriminalization and the Nordic model? Yeah, could you describe like what the Nordic model is when people talk about that, Connor? Yeah, I mean, so the the Nordic model is at its heart. I mean, the, the simplest way to explain it is like it criminalizes being a client of a sex worker, but it doesn't criminalize uh, the sex worker themselves. It does still in some places criminalize sex workers themselves, but really does decriminalizes being a sex worker, but criminalizes hiring one. So it's basically strangling off the economic support that sex workers receive. And in, in some places, you know, if you're arrested as a client or, or, you know, rounded up as a client, you have to go to John school, um, <laughs> which is like, it's crazy where please, you have to like, please, what um, is John school? Yeah. It's not, it's not, it's not as fun as it sounds like where you have to, it's basically like uh, when you get caught for drunk driving, you have to watch like movies of like accidents yeah. like that. It's like, this is how you're destroying people's lives by hiring someone for a blow job. You know, it's like, it's really, it's really insane. And so um, that's basically it. There are variations on it and maybe we can talk about those variations. Yeah. But are there, that's like is the, the Nordic underlying. model. Sorry, Connor. The Nordic model is just sort of one example of how a decriminalized model would look like. Are there others? I think it's closer to legalization than decrim. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. exactly. Oh, yeah. So what is the difference then between legalization and decriminalization? You just want decriminalization because you don't want the regulations from a state that is completely inept at regulating something. This is something that as someone who's worked for porn performers rights for so long, I kept coming across was dealing with politicians and officials, policymakers who had no idea what the hell they were talking about because they were so out of touch with the community or pretended to be so out of touch with the community that they were trying to legislate for. So, you know, think about the fact that politicians are the least uh, <laughs> the least qualified people to regulate anything about sexuality whatsoever because they're, first of all, not supposed to have sex lives <laughs> and they're not supposed to talk about them. They're not supposed to have looked at porn or gone to strip clubs or whatever because they're scandals in this country or whatever. It's supposed that's that in this country, that's a terrible thing to have done, even though they've all done it. So, you have these people that are completely inept and that's what the legalization eventually would boil down to is either trying to control and regulate sex work for, you know, what, whatever calculated ways that they want to do it um, or just being completely inept about it. Whereas decriminalization just allows us to do our jobs the way we want to. But like at, at a, I mean, in some hypothetical future date, could there be a role for the state to regulate the labor practices involved? I mean, I mean, like regulate the relations. I don't. I mean, is it? Yeah, I, I, like, I, I, I don't buy that argument wholesale, Connor, because I think it certainly is within the ambit of the state to regulate labor generally. Well, sure, it, but we, it, it, yes, I think that okay, we can we can look at how the state regulates labor in other fields, but like you know, for instance, when in. California, we had this whole battle to <laughs> allow uh, porn performers to perform without condoms, okay? And um, OSHA was involved, and uh, they were going to, like, if someone called OSHA and said they're not using condoms on the set, like, the set could have been raided, all that kind of stuff. I had to go along with a, lot, a bunch of other performers in front of these lawmakers and say, look, your science is outdated. You don't understand our testing protocols, our regulations, the things that we do that actually make us safer than the general population as a population of porn performers because our livelihood depends on us not getting STIs. So we actually have all these internal regulating processes that we've set up. But that didn't matter to them. Um, it didn't matter that we actually, you know, had consulted with laboratories in our community that we'd uh, actually assess the risk, so on and so forth. And I didn't, I didn't have any stake in that. I've only done porn with condoms. So it's not like I was trying to defend my right to, to not wear one. I just thought it was everybody's choice. So what I'm saying again is like, 
when it comes to anything relating to sex work, sexuality, or sex, it's a place where lawmakers are particularly unqualified. So there'd have to be a long process of uh, education and restructuring to be able to regulate in a way that made sense. We also, we have legal sex work in certain counties in Nevada and right. that operates way differently than like how I would do my work. Um, I've never worked there, but I have friends and comrades who work in the brothels there and like they have to do dick checks, which is pretty much just like examining your client's genitals. So, so the, 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 the sex worker has to do a visual, physical inspection. Yeah. Like of- you, you put on gloves. And you, you know, like move it around and look at it and kind of, you know, judge if it's safe for you. And then like you're also using condoms on top of that. But like judge if it's good or bad. Yeah. You (laughs) you rate rate the dick. One to five stars. (laughs) Put that in a database. (laughs) So when you have when you have like the law in your sex life and like in your genitals, like and we know from like uh Especially like with all of like the Roe v. Wade that people think is gonna get overturned, like it's not something you want politics in. Like it's also like the decrim system is just way simpler to understand. It's something that every single sex worker is advocating for. Um, it's also going to make sex work like it's gonna keep it accessible to people who otherwise like wouldn't have access to it in a legal system. So, like, a legal system could propose, like, you're in a registry. You have to, like, follow certain testing standards. Um, You have to do, like, all of these things. And all of these things are going to cost money. And sex work is, it is what it is because, like, anyone can do it if you have a certain drive and, like, need to make money. I mean, I guess the tension comes, I mean, I think we all agree that uh, we don't want lawmakers being involved in your sex life, but... However, I think it can be appropriate to have politics involved in your workplace. But the problem is when your workplace and your sex life come together, like, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's sort of tricky to point out what. Where well, that, in, that's why I was saying before that it's, it can't just be, unfortunately, it can't just be a labor issue at this point. I would love if that were true. But because the sexual aspect of it is so out of whack in this country, particularly, it's there, so much education is going to be need to be done before you can, uh, you know, implement proper labor policies that actually protect workers. Absolutely. And as well, uh, the fact that sex workers tend to come from vulnerable populations, populations that do not have a lot of political power means that from the get go, this debate is horribly imbalanced. And it's especially on one side of the scale you have not just both political parties, but the full thrust of this, uh, you know, evangelical puritanism, uh, uh, Christian structure. You know, I, I'm told that some, many of the same groups that are pushing more tougher trafficking laws and pushing SESTA-FOSTA, uh, they, they're also the groups that push uh, anti-transgender bathroom bills. They're the groups that push abstinence-only education. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, there's there's an almost one to one crossover in the UK at least between uh, what we call SWERFs, sex worker exclusionary radical feminists, and TERFs, trans exclusionary radical feminists. They're, I mean, they're the same people. So that's also something to keep in mind. Like, if you're defending trans rights, you're defending sex worker rights, and if you're defending sex worker rights, you're defending trans rights. That's not necessarily always true, and there are people that screw up one side or the other, but. You're, you're right to point that out. And I, I just want to say just to that, there are lots of sex workers that do not come from vulnerable populations, although the ones that the laws think that they're protecting often do, and that's why they do such a terrible job, because also they don't understand those populations. As well, we're also having this discussion in the context of what is a rapidly growing police state churning against our most vulnerable populations. And I wanted to uh, turn the conversation to immigration and ICE right now. I think that the war on sex workers and, you know, broadly the war on sexuality has been one of the contributors to the rise of things like ICE, right? 100%. Yeah. So um, in the subways in New York, I think like six months ago, it might have even been a year ago, they've left these ads up um, like. I've seen them off the L like recently, 
but it's like if you think someone is a victim of trafficking, call this number. And like you can Google if that you number. See something, say something. Yeah. yeah. And if you Google that number, it's literally <laughs> an ICE reporting line. Wow. Jesus. And it's they're not even shameless about it. They're not like redirecting it. It's like literally an ICE line where if you think someone is like a trafficking victim, you are essentially like reporting them and outing them as a migrant. And it's, as well, I'm willing to put a pin in the discussion of the regulation of labor and commerce of sex work when right now the terms of the discussion, uh, where, when any, where every, any state intervention from the beginning is going to involve an organization like ICE. It's going to be poisoned from the beginning. I mean that, that 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 your example about like the the subway hotline is 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 such a good one because like when people t- you know abolish ICE has become sort of a, uh, a a rallying cry for a lot of people in this country and like the the retort to that is oh what like you know we should have no border at all and like yeah. whatever I mean that would <laughs> fine but I think people when they think of ICE they think of the people who are like you know on the border stopping people from crossing it or interdicting shipments of drugs or and they're not. The Border Patrol still does that. ICE is a nationwide, like, you know, snitch army that, that take, they, were, they do all their stuff hundreds of thousands, if not thousands of miles away from the southern border with Mexico in this country. It's just like they exist mm-hmm. to just like seek out people in hospitals and schools and on the subway and just like pick them out and put them into this huge dragnet. They're like, they have almost nothing to do with keeping the border safe or enforcing that at all. It's, yeah, it's just part of this yeah, gigantic, a, like panopticon of surveillance and intimidation. If you have too many Iron Cross tattoos to become a cop, you become an ICE <laughs> agent. That's it. <laughs> it is. I mean, it is. It is so important to show how all these things are knitted together. And sometimes yeah. you can see the seams, like in early Sesta Fosta drafts. And I don't know if it's still there. I need to comb through again. But there was a thing about so. So in Sesta Fosta, it's like if a user posts something about prostitution on your site, then the site itself can be sued. But there, it went one further originally where it said, um, and Melissa uh, Jared Grant pointed this out, it said that the city that hosted the website, where the lo- website was located, could be sued. Like there was some, some bizarre thing like that. And of course, a lot of these were like sanctuary cities. So sometimes if you just sort of look close enough, you can see where these this weird, as you're saying, panopticon, not to give Foucault too much credit, but th- that you can see this like um, these stitches and see that there's something really alarming at hand. And, you know, I don't want to get all Alex Jones prison planet about it, but these laws do relate to one another for sure. Right. I mean, you have the organization that's ostensibly tasked with uh, saving victims of human trafficking as being the organization that also actively oppresses many of these people. You can imagine someone who is undocumented, who is uh, engaged in sex work, uh, maybe in a brothel or something because they can't, they don't have the papers to find any other employment in this country. They can be told by their employer, if you don't cooperate, if you try to quit, we'll report you to ICE. Uh, I mean, there's a sex work discrimination, you know, that even if you just want to be like a a bring an analogy to it, as Ty was saying before, like the way that sex workers get sort of fired from their jobs for trying to do any labor, labor organizing or trying to protect themselves or even like just trying to get a different kind of job. So on the one hand, I know porn performers who are also meteorologists and lawyers and all that sort of stuff. But on the other hand, I know porn performers who were in porn and then like got fired from Best Buy because their, you know, the employer found out that they were in porn. So there's a way in which this stigmatizing, um, they, they, these things parallel each other, even if they don't always intersect. Just to return to the uh, panopticon for a second, uh, Connor, you mentioned Foucault. And just for our listeners, oh, here he goes. Yeah, I want to. I just want to give them. A brief, <laughs> I want to give you our listeners a brief primer on Foucault. It goes like this: uh, prison, that's prison. Uh, schools, prisons. Society, prison. Uh, sex, you better believe that's prison. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a little Foucault one hundred and one for you guys. It's there. also so um, like similar to like John's school. If you are found being like a trafficking victim then sometimes they like will also in like certain states send you to like a rehabilitation school but if you're an adult charm school (laughs) (laughs) but if you're an adult Hmm. um rehabilitation is often incarceration incarceration which is like what ice is doing i mean there isn't 
there's they're, they don't have a solution for this they're just incarcerating people and like if it's a cycle then that's what it is and they will only profit off of it so can i i just want to yeah, say yeah. one more thing so so just also i want people to notice the kind of cultural creep that's happening with the human trafficking stuff um and so we're talking about how it relates to all these other laws that are in place but also immediately um we saw anti people who are already doing anti-porn activism anti-sex work activism whose entire platform is based on the fact that well if for, in some cases that sex workers can't consent no matter how much they say they're consenting to doing sex work and saying i want to do this or i've chosen to do this because i need money or whatever it is no matter what that 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 consent isn't considered valid by these people so right away um after and during Cesta Foss's passage they started saying, okay, now we need to just show like every porn site is made up of trafficking victims. Every time you're watching porn, like you're watching human trafficking and that is building. And so I just want to <laughs> caution people against that um, and just know that that is actually, it sounds like a joke, but the way that these people are pivoting um, and it's not just Christian fundamentalists. It's like I said, there are people, you know, especially in the UK that are using this argument. I can, um, so just pay attention. Yeah. I mean, like I, I can follow that argument like partly because the idea is like if you say, well, you know, sex work is a choice, then you get into the question of like to what extent are our choices to work in this society really choices at all or how how are they converse? Which is obviously aside the point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But like but then but then like it goes too far where you literally don't believe anything anyone is telling you or like you uh you, you take one case in your head and apply it to like an entire uh spectrum which is a of, convenient way to say I don't have to have solidarity with sex workers because I just don't like work. I'm yeah, gonna I'm yeah. gonna go to the beach. Exactly. And, but like I mean, Connor, could you like is, you, you mentioned the UK and this kind of like the the swerf uh, thing, like the sex worker exclusionary feminism? Could you do your best, to, like, just describe what their argument is? I mean, I'm asking not because I particularly care to give it a platform on this show, but I am genuinely no. curious, like, what what these people's line. Can is. you say it in like a dumb guy voice so that we don't <laughs> yeah. give it a platform? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so <laughs> so yeah, I mean, so basically, you have um, people who have been in the public eye as feminists. We, we include Gloria Steinem in this, um, but also people like, uh, like I said before, Gail Dines and Julie Bindle, um, who basically say one, like I said before, that sex workers can't aren't consenting no matter what you see, two, that sex work constitutes a special kind of labor, as you just pointed out, because it's like, well, who the hell wants any kind of job? You know, but for some reason, these people are singling out sex work as the job that somehow is the most exploitative, when in fact, for in, my, in my understanding, and from all the sex workers I know, it's actually the most honest and most direct um, transaction of services ever. But um and then also there's this weird apocalyptic language around it. So like Chris Hedges um, is just miserable leftist. I, I, um, I call him he, the hair shirt left. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, anyway, he's, he had like an essay called This is What the End of the World Looks Like, and it was about porn. <laughs> so the, Dude, <laughs> there's this idea sucking of fucking? This is great. around sex work. Yeah, so, uh, Chris Hedges. I picture him as Smithers when he goes to the strip club and he's just crying <laughs> in the corner with the two dancers. <laughs> he actually, he actually did. Um, someone told me. I, I can't. I'm not sure that this is true yet, but I have heard through the pipeline that he has a book coming out where he sort of went undercover on a porn set just to expose how horrible it was, which just sounds so awful. <laughs> Awful to me, and also non-consensual. You know, uh, <laughs> like first, okay. Let me t- let me tell you about the craft service table. <laughs> it was meager at best. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So so that's basically though. That's those are the factors that I would combine: like societal collapse, the end of consent, and also or like the 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 non-consent even when they consent, and uh, just the singling out of uh, 
this as a special kind of labor. And also, like I guess, like from the left, this also you alluded to this before, but also there's this idea that it, it's a symptom of like just the decadence of capitalism and bourgeois culture, right? Yes, I mean, and of course, sex work ex- exists and has existed in all kinds of cultures that were not capitalist, yeah. and including cultures that were <laughs> didn't have a- economies that look anything like the kinds of even socialist or capitalist or communist uh, economies. So, yeah, I mean, I think in a moral sense, and you know, you might have listened to this, and you might not be sold on it, but you should, at the very least be opposed to SESTA out of self-interest because we should look at it in the same lens that we used to look at what's happening around immigration and refugees in this country, which is a pretext for a drastic expansion of the security state of the police state uh, built on the rotten foundation of oppressing a vulnerable population. And as sex workers have been uh, oppressed for, uh, well, uh, forever. And, you know, I, I, I was told by a friend that, uh, you know, uh, after SESTA was passed, the trans lifeline experienced significantly higher call volume uh, for a long time. Walking while trans is used as a pretext for police brutality and for profiling. And what SESTA does is in a very uh, narrow sense is it eliminates the Section 230 or it the Section 230 Safe Harbor provision of the Communications Decency Act of 1996, the thing that basically made the Internet free uh, by holding content providers liable for a specific thing on their platform. It's not terrorism. It's not selling drugs. You could go on Reddit and buy Fent right now. Uh, their Reddit owners are not going to be held liable for that. But if there's any kind of transaction, any kind of sex work going on in their platform, uh, they're going to be held liable for that. And that it's this is where it starts with a vulnerable population without political power and shockingly without solidarity from the left, which should have solidarity with them. And it starts with them and it starts with undocumented people in this country and refugees in this country. And you have to wonder who's going to be next in this in this grotesque and stupid moral crusade. And people need to demand, as they're demanding the abolition of ICE, they need to demand the repeal of SESTA and broadly demand the decriminalization of sex work. And it does start with holding people on the left accountable. It, it starts with demanding that Bernie Sanders take back his vote. It starts with uh, demanding that candidates uh, who are actively courting the left's support, candidates such as Cynthia Nixon, uh, face these questions and give a candid response about them. And I, I, yeah. I, I want to close by asking both of you, if our listeners wanted to show solidarity with sex workers, what could they do? I don't know. I think the first and probably most important step into changing things is education. So ultimately, just like listening to sex workers and giving sex workers a platform and just making space for us and like other marginalized people and this community on the left like I know that I've had issues with like the DSA because they like just didn't know how to make space for sex workers Connor yeah um I think that understand so so a personal thing you can do is just understand that you are likely interacting with sex workers and I don't mean that as uh, you know someone who's a sex worker and they're just not telling you. Yeah, that probably is also true. But um, if you're watching porn, you're interacting with sex workers. Sex workers are in your daily life. If you've gone to a strip club, whatever, you don't have to acknowledge or you don't have to know that you've directly hired a sex worker for services in your house or a hotel room or something like that. You've interacted with sex workers at some point in your life. So I think, first of all, understand how normalized it is, but you just don't really realize that it's normal. Um, and then I would also say like, yeah, we need to demand that uh, this is seen as a bodily autonomy issue, a labor issue. And, you know, in the case of SESTA-FOSTA, also a censorship, an, an internet censorship issue. So, you know, find uh, find sex work organizations if you can and give them money. <laughs> Frankly, yeah. if you have it, give Pay money them. to uh, all the what, whatever trade organization or whatever you can find to give money to or sex worker run um, sex worker run clinics. And then also um, be wary of the human trafficking rhetoric. It's, it's too, there's, 
it, it's overextends itself. And don't believe it just because Amy Schumer says it, which I would think most people on this in the show don't already. But pay us, like, mostly. Is there a specific organization either of you have in mind? Um, Swap is great. Um, I would also mm-hmm. encourage everyone looking into their local organizations. Um, I know that in New York we have... It's Lista Shia, I believe. It's so difficult to pronounce. Um, donating to local bail funds is also really great. Um, doing uh, the sex workers behind bars, uh, like pen pal uh, thing, like where you write to incarcerated sex workers is also really good. I know that they're looking for people who um, have like gone through uh, sobriety and like also like re-entered from being incarcerated as well. So, like, interacting with sex workers, even the platform, and just mostly paying us. Like, to pay mm-hmm. sex workers directly, too. Like, that's so it's so good. And as well, I mean, I yeah. would say if you are an active member of the DSA, uh, this is something to keep in mind at your next meeting. If there is perhaps some latent hostility towards sex workers in your organization, or if you're anything less than fully welcoming of them, because it is a critical population that needs to be organized and it needs to be in sex work needs to be a part of the constellation of left demands. And, and I think if, if for no other reason, <laughs> just understand that the, the political group that's done the most work for sex workers in recent history has been libertarians. So if you don't like libertarians <laughs> do something to form <laughs> socialist unity with a democratic socialist unity with sex workers. You heard, you heard it here, folks. Don't let the libertarians uh, have this one. Uh, Ty, <laughs> Connor, thank you both so much for coming on the thank show. You. Thank let you. Me, uh, and if you haven't listened to uh, Connor's show yet, Against Everyone with Connor Habib, please check that out. Felix and myself have both been guests. James Adomian was just on. He, has, he had Scott Thompson of the Kids in the Hall not too long ago. What more do you people want? Yeah, check it out. Thank you. Till next time. Bye. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thank you. <laughs> Bye.